0: I don't know about you, but I am uh, just so grateful for gifted musicians. Thank you guys for leading us tonight in worship. Um, uh, you know, I've been around a lot of churches and fellowships in my life, and I've been in a lot of nights like this one, and, and if you were like me when I was a participant or tender, you always wonder if the leaders like really knew, that there were like half as many people as usual. <laughs> I know, okay? We, we know, and we're okay with it. But I don't, the other thing I don't want to do is, is if you were in some of the fellowships like I was, like the pastor or the preacher would do the, well, I'm just so glad, you know, the real people are here. I'm not going to do that either, okay? Um, this is just one of those nights where there's a ton of people that are celebrating uh, Greek show on campus, and we are glad that you're here. Uh, we actually changed what we were gonna talk about uh, tonight because next week, we hope that a lot of those people that are at Greek show are gonna, are gonna come back um, because we wanna talk about something that's really important, not that tonight's not, but um, next week, um, you'll see uh, we're, what we're gonna talk about is very, uh, very distinct. Um, before I get into tonight's talk, um, I wanna invite somebody up, and I'm gonna give them this mic. Um, John Tomberlin is the director, dictator, what is your official title, of, of the Fellows Program. And, um, John, I'm just going to do a like, little interview sure. um, with you about um, what, what is the, the Fellows Program. That was a great way to
1: test that mic, by the way. I know, it's, it's subtle. Good. And um, I don't know if I should take it as a subtle shot. You know, half the people aren't here. And... Uh, David invites me this week, so I'm not taking it too personally, David. Uh, You pick up on social um, cues really well, John. That's good. um, The the, the Fellows Program is a national initiative that was started in the mid-90s to um, help recent college graduates recover a theology of faith and work. Um, A church in D.C. noticed a lot of Christians graduating were taking the first job available to them, a job that wasn't necessarily suited towards their gifts, Uh, One that was just a way to make as much money as possible, or as little as money as possible, uh, given the economy. Um, But uh, they wanted to recover a theology of Christian work. uh, That the Word has a lot more to say about your gifts, your talents, and serving the city, and what might, should you do. And the whole Fellows Program is geared to that end.
0: So tell us a little bit about what... um, the the details of the fellows program here in Chattanooga looks like what, if somebody signs up for the fellows program what can they expect the next 10 months of their life to look like
1: um, if you wanna get a first-hand account Taylor King is here Taylor raise your hand please Taylor's actually a current fellow um, so if you wanna if you're not quite sure who you're dealing with in me or you're skeptical I, I wouldn't blame you uh, the scar on my forehead looks kinda of peculiar um, <laughs> that's not from a fight um, <clears throat> Uh, If you sign up to be a fellow, it's a nine-month journey from September to May. Now, what your week looks like is this. Uh, We take two seminary classes per semester, one on Monday, one on Friday, Uh, one uh, practical theology, one biblical theology, and they are actually seminary-level graduate-level courses. So if you want to continue further study in the Bible, we offer that. Um, You have an internship Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays. Uh, where we will put you to work, a paid internship helping you find a job in your field of study. Um, We have roundtable discussions on Monday nights where we bring in other uh, Christian leaders that have wrestled with that question, how has your faith affected your work? So you meet a lot of interesting people in Chattanooga that have been wrestling with this for a long time. Uh, Friday evenings are fellowship times, Saturday's your days off. Uh, You live with a host family, so you have free rent. You have a mentor assigned to you, someone that is pouring into you spiritually throughout your time here. And um, you actually get to graduate and go on some fun conferences throughout the year. So it is, um, you're busy. I mean, it is not for everyone, but it is a great uh, nine months. It's been a great first year.
0: So what are you looking for, and I don't know how many, I can't see how many seniors might be out there, but even for freshmen, sophomores, juniors, as they think about this, well, that sounds like something I want to do when I graduate, what, um, what do they need to do?
1: Um, one thing, I'm going to hang out after uh, this is over. I, I do have, um, I'm 32 years old, i worked in the grocery business for nine years before I went to seminary, and I'm a meat cutter by trade, but I have an actual business card now. Is that a thing? I mean, a business card's a thing? I mean... So I would, I would love to actually hand these to someone, and then you actually use it. Like, there's an actual website and phone number and email. But I do, I do like to talk to people that are interested in it. I really do. If it's coffee over lunch, you can go to our website. But there is an application process. You submit an application. You submit a resume. You go through an interview process um, to get the ball rolling. So if you wanted to inquire, the website will be helpful. But you can really, really call me or email me personally, and I will respond. Amen. Thanks, John. Thanks Thank so you, much. Dave. Thanks for, for having me. Y'all, I'll be hanging out back. All right. Thanks.
0: Uh, I, just, uh, I just want to commend it to you. We've, we uh, Taylor's the first UTC grad to be a fellow, and the— this is the first year that the Fellows Program has been in Chattanooga, but several summers ago, I got to go to the one that's in Knoxville, and several of the alums of the house have gone through that program, and they said it's absolutely transformed their view of, of God's calling for them. Um, sometimes we think about God calling us just into full-time ministry, but they, they began to see the work and the gifts that God has given them in the world as serving His, His greater kingdom purposes, so I just commend uh, the Fellows Program to y'all. and. and hope that you'll take some time to talk with John. Um, So I'm doing, I know that this is midterm time, so we're going to do a little midterm review with this series that we're calling The Life in Between, and if you haven't been here yet, we're just doing this series where we've been looking at different people in the scriptures that were told one thing, they were given a promise or a a sign or something in their lives, and then, and then they had to either do something or endure something um, until that thing was fulfilled. And as we've been talking this, this semester, we've been recognizing that that's really the life that we are living now. So if, if we claim and call ourselves followers of Jesus, we know this story that happened a long time ago. We know that, that sin has been taken care of. Through Christ on the cross, that, that the things that we have done, the things that we, we will do, have even been been cleansed, have been forgiven through Christ on the cross. And then three days later we know he rose from the grave, and we are living now anticipating him coming back. And then what and we'll get into this passage in, in the book of Hebrews in a second about what even then will happen next. But Right now, we're in that in-between time. We've been told one thing, we believe one thing, we're holding on to, to one thing, and we're hoping for this thing in the future, and here we are in between. You know, apart from finding ourselves in the biblical story, it's also the state that you're in in college. You graduated high school, you're in this college time where everybody tells you either it's the best years of your life Did you hear that one before you came? It's the best years of your life. And it'll prepare you for your future. You may find who you're going to marry. You may find what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And so you're in this in-between time where really you're being asked to to do a lot of strange things. UTC is asking you to study art and you're an engineering major. Or you're, you're being told to take physics and you're an art major. And you're going, why do I have to endure this? Well, because somebody says if you get this thing, then something else happens in the future. So tonight I'm going to look at at when we were discussing as a staff uh, over the Christmas break what we wanted to talk about this semester. This passage in Hebrews stood out to us. And this comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 11. In In the very beginning of Hebrews 11 is a verse that if you grew up around church, they, they, they might have made you memorize this one. And it just defines what faith is. And it says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is being assured of the things that, that you hope for. And it's the conviction of things that are not seen. So it's a perfect... What I was just talking about, that we're in this in-between time, things that we can't see, things that we believe are going to happen, faith is that thing that, that, that drives us and, and keeps us going. We believe that, that there must be something that's coming, and so faith is, is being assured that those things that were told to us are actually going to happen. And it's, it's being convicted, being absolutely certain that even things that we can't see are going to come into reality. And after those couple verses in chapter 11, the author of Hebrews goes and he starts to, to list several different people in the scriptures. Names that, that in Sunday school, if you were around Sunday school ever, that might have been kicked around. Even if you weren't around the church, you've heard names like Noah, because there's a movie coming out. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, this obscure character named Enoch. And Again and again, the author of Hebrews talks about how those particular people endured things. They had to obey things. They went to places without very much knowledge about what really was going to happen. And each one of them is being kind of held up as an example to each and every one of us about that, in Scripture, we have a lot of brothers and sisters that if we find ourselves in that in-between time, we're in good company because they did too. They were in between those things. And I wanted to read for you how this, the Hebrews 11 kinda, kind of summarizes those different characters. And, and this is Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 through 16. And, Zach, if we could put all these people, all these people that... that was just, were just listed by the author, um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Enoch, Sarah, uh, Noah. All of these people were still living by faith, it says. And let me go on and read this section. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Meaning, they hadn't received the thing that they had been hoping for. But, It goes on, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Let me stop for a second because it seems like a strange direction that this scripture just took. If someone calls themselves an alien or a stranger in a place, it means that they're not from the place where they are now, right? That's evident. If I were to ask a lot of you where you're from, most of you would say stuff like Memphis, Knoxville, Nashville, or in between, or... You would, you know, say something like, I've met some people that are from Jackson and they always say like, well, it's like an hour away from Memphis, right? You know, it's, it's always next to something else. No offense to anybody from Jackson, but that's how most of the people that have always, never mind. Um, Columbia, Tennessee is the same way. Anybody here from Columbia? I can't see, you. But anyway, everybody from Columbia always says it's right. It's, okay, they always associate it by another city. Moving on. Moving um, on. So, people who say such things, that they're alien, is that they're looking for another country. They're looking for another place to call home. If they're looking for the place that they, they, they had left, they, they could have gone back. They could have gone back. But it says instead, they were longing for a better country. They hoped that God was going to do something else. And it says a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I'm going to take a, take a huge right turn here for a second because this, really, this is a big passion of mine. How many of us would identify that last verse as integral when somebody asks you what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, that God has prepared a city? Anybody? I know I wouldn't. Maybe I would now, but two years ago, five years ago, seven years ago? Um, some of you may know that, that our staff right now is in the midst of interviewing interns from all around the country and here. And, and, and we always ask this question um, on, on the application. What is the gospel? And there's nothing wrong with the answers that we read. They are, they are, they are true. They, they mostly deal with that element of Jesus on the cross. Forgiveness. His atonement. His, his wiping away of our sin. Some, not all, mention the resurrection, which is an important part of the story. Almost none of them talk about his return or what God is going to do then. And isn't that interesting? Even the author of Hebrews knew that this was an important part of the story, that, that the hope that we place isn't just that we're going to live forever. That's, that's cool. That's a wonderful thing. And don't hear me right. I'm not like... like you know, slam in any uh, teaching or anything like that but, but I know that, that this certainly was not taught to me in the early years of my faith. And, and there's some ramifications for that kind of teaching too because if we're just taught that the gospel is about you and your sin, then it's really easy for us to relate to God just in terms of me and my sin. God takes care of my sin, that's it. But even like with what John was talking about, with the, the fellows program, we, we, if we just think that Christianity is about us and our sin, then we don't see any sort of relevance to faith and work. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, but when we begin to start thinking, well, God's up to something. He's up to renewing all things. He's up to restoring all of creation. In fact, one day when when God returns, there's going to be a brand new city. There's going to be a feast. Things are going to be restored and renewed. Then we can begin to see things in our lives now and go, well, wait a minute. If that's true then maybe the things that I'm supposed to be about now on earth is looking for places to renew and to restore. How can God use the gifts that he has given me, the talents that he has given me in my art, in my chemistry, in my teaching, or whatever it might be, to be a part of that work, to renew and to restore? So that was a huge right turn, but I think it's an important thing, and you've probably heard me talk about this before, but whenever I come across it, I just want to put a special mention about because it, 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 it seems to be just pop out to me in scripture now. Somehow these people in the Old Testament knew that God was up to this. The author of Hebrews says that, that, that the thing that they held on to, the, the thing that enabled them to persevere, to obey, to journey was that they knew that God was going to do this thing. They were gonna, he was going to build this city. I don't know how they knew not all of them were told that, but, but certainly it, it propelled them forward to endure. If you go back tonight, because I'm sure you don't have any homework, and, and you read Hebrews 11, you'll find that some names get mentioned several times, and some just get mentioned once. When I was reading a commentary about this, and, and this guy w- was saying that if you, if you group these names together, you'll find something interesting that the first group are names from Genesis. Abel, remember Cain and Abel, if you remember that story. Enoch, who we know very little about, except that he walked with God. And Noah, of which there's a movie coming out. And this guy says that that these were all people that were righteous. These were the righteous people that that even know that things around them were going another direction, They stayed true to what they had been told. Enoch enjoyed this close relationship with God. Abel did what was right in the sight of God. Noah obeyed even when everybody was like, why are you building a boat? So then the second group, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is often referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those three were people that, We're called to go from one place to another and obey God in that. It always strikes me the story of Abraham where God says, go to the land that I will show you. And Abraham went. And Abraham had to do a lot of other things, by the way, without a whole lot of information. And somehow, somehow, he obeyed. It's amazing to me because their hope, their trust, Their faith in God must have been so intense to be able to pick up everything and go somewhere else. I don't know how many of you made your college decision based on a word from the Lord or just because you heard about Chattanooga or whatever. I know when I was 17 and I lived in Seattle, Washington, where it's like gray and rainy 340 days of the year, that I wanted to go to Southern California to go to school because it's sunny in Southern California. So I applied to only schools in California. Seven different schools in California. And the one that told me that I could play soccer there was the one that I went into. And there was no word from the Lord. And I had no idea, I didn't know a single person when I went to this tiny little school outside of Los Angeles. I cannot say that I journeyed in obedience." And I think a lot of us, when we think back and make decisions, we, we don't have the same kind of thing that these biblical people must have had because somehow they were able to move, not just themselves, a 17-year-old, but entire families, entire tribes, entire clans and everything and go somewhere else. Can you imagine, I don't, John, I know you're married. Jason is married. Can you imagine trying to tell your wife, hey, we're going to move. Not sure where, not sure what I'm going to do, but we're going to move. Tell you what, that conversation doesn't go over real well. But somehow each of these people were shown something, knew something, trusted something enough, trusted God enough to do what he said. Third group, again, is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because each of these three did this as well. And then two others were added to it, Joseph and Moses. This third group were those that were tested by suffering. They went through horrible, horrible situations and were forced to endure in the midst of that suffering. And that's the hardest one for all of us. The hardest one, I think, for all of us is when we're in the midst of suffering. We're in the midst of pain and disillusionment or despair. It is really hard for us to hold on to that hope. Really hard for us to hold on to that trust that God may be up to something. If we're honest, as we talked about a couple weeks ago in the book of Lamentations, It's easy for us to go, God, you're doing this to me. Where are you? Are you even good anymore? Have you just left me here? So it's very hard for us to endure in suffering, yet the author of Hebrews wants to kind of roll out this list of names to us to say, look, whether we are being called to go somewhere, whether we are called to to kind of make a stand in the midst of a lot of stuff around us that is, seems to be taking us away from God, whether we're called to just endure and to persevere, and as we, as we just saying to wait. Whether we're called to do any of those things by faith, with all of those people, we can do that. So after all this, after Hebrews 11 comes this scripture, one of the very first ones that I learned when I became a Christian. I don't know if there's like a booklet out there of like, you know, that, that leaders give the, their new converts, but it seems like there were always a certain number of scriptures, and this was one of them, and I'll read it for us in a second. But it's like, as I've talked to other friends that were kind of converted later in their life, it's like we all were memorizing the same things, but this is a great one. Um, It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. All these people that that Hebrews 11 just mentioned, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The Cliff Notes version, Spark Notes version of Hebrews, is don't give up. The whole letter was really written to a group of people who were facing this culture, facing this this persecution, facing people that wanted to kill them, wanted to make them suffer because they called themselves followers of Jesus. And the author of Hebrews again and again says, Don't give up. Don't give up. Stand fast. Persevere. Wait. Trust. Trust have faith, hope. And the way that he does that is that that he he gives this long list of people and then, if you can see this, recognizes that it would be as if we are Olympic runners. We just got done with the Winter Olympics, but we are Olympic runners. And all of those people that were just mentioned, the Abraham, the Isaac, the Jacob, the Joseph, the Moses, the Enoch, the Abel, and all the others that are listed are watching us run and cheering us on, encouraging us, trusting, because they know what the finish feels like and what it looks like. They know better than we do and and is asking us to stay fast, to stead to 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 not give up, to endure. And just like a runner runs towards a finish line, that finish line is the fixing on our eyes on Jesus. The end of that race, the author and finisher of our faith, and then Jesus is held up, and he says that, that Jesus himself endured this opposition from men just like them, and even more so because the entire weight of the sin of the world was heaped upon him. And he scorned the shame of the cross. He endured shame for you and me. And he sat down at the right hand of God, meaning he was in a place of authority. And the phrase that always gets me is when it says the joy that was set before him. And this is my interpretation. Some of you that have been around the house have probably heard me say this before. The only thing that I can think is the joy that was set before him is us, his bride, his people. God didn't promise him gold or diamonds or treasure or a crown. The joy, I think, has to be you and me. And so, to think that Jesus saw his bride, saw you and me, the body of Christ, when he was on that cross, and endured the cross and all of its pain and shame for that is just, it's amazing to me. Amazing to me to think that that is what caused him to endure. There's something practical that Hebrews 12 tells us to do. That when we feel like giving up that we're just asked to consider him okay and this is where an English word really does not do justice because most of us would probably use the word consider like this like hey would you like to you know go out on a date I'll consider that (laughs) which usually means no Right. Um, I guess in the South you say "might could." Right? I might could do that. If somebody asks you to do something. I might could do that. I think that that's kind of what the word "consider" now means. Well, consider, which means I just did, and no, I'm not going to. But the word literally means to think again and again and again and again and again and again. See, this is where the Bible is so practical and real. It's not like you just have to do this once. The Bible knows, God knows that we will be tested and tried, that that there there will be times in which we're called to go somewhere or do something that seems so strange to us. And in those moments, we are to think, reflect, meditate, consider Jesus again and again and again. A few weeks ago in that men and pizza night, I challenged the guys that one of the hardest things for all of us is to remember that Jesus is present. And so I wanted, I told them I wanted to get them temporary tattoos to put on their hand because there's this ancient prayer that simply goes like this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I told the guys that I wanted to get temporary tattoos that just said, have mercy Because sometimes we need that tangible reminder. We need to consider again and again and again. We need to be reminded again and again of Jesus. Consider him. Not just once and then ignore him. Not just the time you made a decision and now you're just waiting for heaven. But think, reflect, call upon him. Fix your eyes on him in those moments where you feel like you're having to stand against the tide of something else. When you're being asked to go somewhere that you really don't want to go. Or when you're enduring suffering. As I was thinking about this message tonight, I began to reflect on the ways that college students might be tempted to give up. Some of these might be cliche, but this is what I thought, that, that, that perhaps you've walked the straight and narrow path for a while when it comes to school, and this semester is just kicking your butt, absolutely kicking your butt, and you haven't had time to study, and you have a test, and so you say to yourself, just once, just once, because it's been so busy. It's going to take a little something in their little notes, and they won't see it. And it's not cheating. It's just you know, I need some help. Or maybe it's you've walked the straight and narrow for a long time. You said, you know, in high school I did my time of drinking and partying, and when I get to college, I'm gonna try to, you know, walk the straight line a little bit better, and you've done that for a month, two months, three months, six months, a year, two years, and then a Friday comes around, and everybody's going, and you don't wanna sit at home anymore, and so you go, and you don't just go, you go because you know It's been a hard semester, I really need to relax, and it's just once. Or maybe it's the relationship that you're in, your boyfriend and girlfriend, you set some boundaries, you've walked pretty close to those. And, but things get a little heated one night, because you're tired, it's been a hard semester, the whole thing, you know. And so, because it just, it feels like love. It feels like he cares, it feels like she really wants this. And so, the things that you said in the daylight, all of a sudden at night, disappear. And you give up. Now, I'm standing here hopefully not condemning or judging because I'm someone that has given up in all of those areas that I just mentioned. And so I know how difficult it is. I, wouldn't, I didn't Google things college students struggle with. I remembered. And I know that some of the staff I work with you know, will tell me I had to go look at black and white photos of it because I'm so old. But I remember what it was like to be in college. And I know how difficult it is. And I know that probably one of the hardest things for us as followers of Jesus is that where is God in those moments? Where is God in those moments when we feel so alone? When we feel like the temptation is too much to bear? When it feels so right, I deserve this. It's been so, such a hard semester, whatever it is, you know? Where is God in those moments? How many of you also got this scripture? This was another one that came shortly after the Hebrews passage. God never, uh, well, I've just already forgotten it. What's the one that talks about tempted? you never to be tempted beyond what you can bear, right? but it sounds a lot easier than it is. In that moment of temptation, how difficult it is to not give up. And I think that one of the reasons why we don't see God in those moments is because we're so focused on the times that we fail that we forget the times that we actually walked a different road. The times that you have walked and made that tough choice, you have obeyed in the face of opposition or endured the suffering, there are so many scriptures that point to that. It says things like, it is God who works in you. The benediction that we have shared, if anyone has noticed every single week, and we will again, is that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We picked that kind of intentionally, hoping that by week 13, maybe it'll sink in to all of us. He initiates it, and he's doing it now. So in one way, I guess, a message would be, let's not focus on those failures. But recognize that every time that we can, obey, persevere, endure. Endure. We recognize that God is right alongside with us. He's helping us. This past week with our staff, I shared three things that kind of just have come to me. I made it sound like I came up with them. It's not this at all, but for the first time, I think it made sense to me if I had three messages to preach, and I had to preach them again and again and again and I wouldn't get tired of them, it would be these three things. Because I I think that these three things are absolutely essential to any person that is trying to follow Jesus. And they're gonna sound super basic, but bear with me. The first one is that we have to be convinced that he loves us beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now I know as soon as I said that, 80% 80% of the room checked out because you went, I've heard this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, in John 3.16 and all that stuff. But I want to say it again because we need to understand that without that foundation, without that truth of God's unconditional love for us, these other two make no sense. These other two make no sense. He loves you. He really loves you. Even when you give up. Even when you obey and endure. And even when you give up. And even when you obey and endure. And even when you give up, He loves you. The second thing is this, and I've alluded to it is that he's present. He's here. The reason why I wanted to give guys that tattoo is to help them to realize that God is present and here. It's not that God just spoke, I love you from the sky and stayed up there. He's present. And let me get really practical for a moment. One of the situations that I just talked about that college students often struggle with giving up is in the physical relationship between a, a guy and a girl. Imagine for a moment that God was present with you in that room as you were struggling against temptation. Not in a creepy stalker kind of way. Would that change the way you decide what happens next? Yes, I would think so. Guys, when you're thinking about looking at that screen, if there was your roommate in the room looking, would that change what you were about to do? Yes. But we don't really believe, do we, that God's really there? But if we began to recognize God's presence and really believe that and that out of love he was present with us and he never leaves us and never forsakes us it would change the way that we live our lives it really would now some of you may be wondering so what exactly happens in that moment of temptation where we do give up and if God was there This is my version of probably what I picture happening. I can imagine God, because he's not a creeper or a stalker, that for a moment he might step out of the room and close the door behind him. But then when everything has settled down, he comes back in and then says, well, now what are we going to do from here? Let's try this again. My relationship with you. Forgiveness and grace. And love. That's just my picture of what maybe it happens. It's not that he leaves us. It's not that he abandons us. But He's not a creeper either. He doesn't give up on us. So, The Father loves us. How great is the love that God has lavished on us that we should be called his children. And the second thing is is that he's present, he's here. And the third thing that I think that if any of us are going to follow Jesus, we actually have to believe that he's worth following. He's worth following. That the things that he talked about we're the right way, the, the a beautiful way to live this life. And if we can believe and live out of those three realities, reminding ourselves of the presence of Jesus, of his, of his love for us, and that he's worth it, then I think that we're well on our way to following Him, and loving Him with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. I know I talked a lot, it feels like I did, I have no idea how long I talked, but my encouragement to us all is simply the message of Hebrews. That when you are in that position of having to endure, having to obey, that you not give up. Hold on to faith, being sure that the things that you hope for, the things that you can't see yet, God is building and God is doing. So maybe we be a people that don't give up, and knowing that he doesn't give up on us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I just want to confess that perhaps some of the images and illustrations that I used. Of the way that you deal with us may not at all be accurate. It's my imagination. So if they are not helpful. Helpful. Would you wipe them from any mind or heart that's out there? But instead, would the fact of your love, the reality of your presence, and the beauty of the teaching of Jesus be what we hold on to and what we stand fast in? In moments when we are tempted to give up, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.